welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make Him known. Their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, New Living Translation. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're excited to be with you today as we conclude our series that we've called Truth and Proof. This series is all about helping our listeners think carefully about their faith. The Christian faith is not a belief system that requires its followers to abandon their brains when they surrender their hearts to Jesus. So, for the past several episodes, we've been focusing on the logic, reason, and evidence that demonstrates that placing your faith in the God of the Bible is not only reasonable, it would actually be unreasonable to do otherwise. And today, to help us complete our series, we have R.D. Fierro back in the studio. R.D. is an author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., the world around us today clamors that we must choose between our Christian faith or science. But that demand is unreasonable, isn't it? Well, before we get too far into our discussion today, I'd really like to thank all the people who are joining us here today, and especially anyone who's been with us for previous episodes of this Truth and Proof series. Truth and Proof has been a pretty intellectually challenging series, and we'd really like to thank them for joining us and sticking with us. Now, to answer your question, yes, it is absolutely unreasonable to ask a Christian to choose between faith and science because science, properly understood, actually helps demonstrate the validity of the Christian faith and worldview. And we're not the first ones that have noticed that. We're certainly not the first ones to point it out. For instance, in 1991, a Berkeley law professor named Philip Johnson wrote a book called Darwin on Trial. Now, Johnson's book was so compelling that it basically changed the nature of the debate about the design that's found and seen in nature and a supernatural designer. Johnson wrote, and I quote, In brief, what makes me a critic of evolution is that I distinguish between naturalistic philosophy and empirical science and oppose the former when it comes cloaked in the authority of the latter. So what Johnson is pointing out is that the empirical science does not and should not be equated with philosophical naturalism. Philosophical naturalism is the idea that the only things that we can know to exist are those of the material universe. As such, philosophical naturalism rejects any claims that anything supernatural, including God, exists. But as we have pointed out during this series, this anti-supernatural bias flies in the face of logic, reason, and evidence. 
It is very clear from science that the material universe does not and cannot explain its own existence. Empirical observations reveal that the universe is one giant effect, and effects need causes. Exactly. But we need to point something out. The logic and reason behind the, quote, science has proved that God doesn't exist assertion is bad and sad and wrong. That does not mean that the marketing of that very bad idea has not been brilliant. I've had a few products like that through the years. The commercials were brilliant. The products were, well, let's just be charitable and say they didn't live up to their promises. And the same thing is true with the idea that, quote, science disproves God, or its slightly better-dressed cousin, quote, faith in God is okay as long as you don't insist that it's true. These are bad ideas. They're bad logic, and they're bad science. But as in so many cases, bad products that are marketed effectively will be embraced by a lot of people. And all we have to do is look around us today to see that that's exactly what has happened in the faith versus science debate. The debate itself is completely unnecessary because reason and science are perfectly consistent with the Christian faith. And in fact, the founders of many of the major branches of modern science were devout Christians. This false dichotomy that is so popular in modern entertainment and culture is one of the reasons we wanted to do a series on what is often termed apologetics. Apologetics does not mean anyone is apologizing for being a Christian. The term comes from a Greek word meaning to give a defense. And that's what Christian apologetics does provides a reasoned defense for the truth of Christianity. And while even ardent Christian apologists will acknowledge that good apologetics may not necessarily change someone's heart, good apologetics is a form of pre-evangelism. Good apologetics will hopefully remove barriers for some people. So what do you want to cover as we wrap up this Truth and Proof series? Well, I'd like to examine some of the broad but fallacious assertions that are often tossed about that too often become barriers between people and them accepting the truth of Christianity. Then we should probably start with the assertion you hear so often. There is no such thing as absolute truth. How would you respond to someone who says that? Well, I would ask them whether their assertion was absolutely true. The person who says that there is no such thing as absolute truth is claiming that there is no such thing as absolute truth while wanting you to accept their claim as being absolutely true. In other words, they are making a claim that is self-refuting or self-defeating. The same thing is true for all the philosophies or claims that deny the existence of truth. Broadly speaking, there are four philosophies that deny the existence of absolute truth. Agnosticism, relativism, skepticism, and postmodernism. But each one of those philosophies fails its own central premise. For instance, the skeptic says that we have to doubt the existence of absolute truth. But the skeptic does not doubt the absoluteness of their own position. Said differently... The skeptic is very certain about their doubt. The relativist tries to say, well, all truth is relative, but the relativist makes their claim as if their claim were absolutely true. 
and all attempts to deny the existence of absolute truth suffer the same fate. They are all self-refuting and self-defeating. How would you respond to the claim that science has proven that there is no God? Well, first I would ask them to go talk to the previous questioner because the statement, science has proven there is no God, is an absolute truth claim. But second, I would ask the person who asserts that science has proven there is no God, well, which of the various scientific disciplines has demonstrated that God doesn't exist? And then I'd listen for their answer. Then they might say that the Big Bang Theory has eliminated the need for God to be the creator of the universe. Well, they might, but if they did so, they will have missed the most fundamental implication of the Big Bang. Which is? Well, if the Big Bang Theory is true, then that necessarily means that the universe had a beginning. And anything that has a beginning, or an end for that matter, cannot be eternal, which means another entity must have caused the universe to come into being. And given how big and complex the universe is, the cause for our universe would have to be a being that's very much like the God of the Bible. It would have to be a being that looks like they're infinite in power, infinite in knowledge, and infinite in presence. Then they might say that there are other theories out there that explain how the universe can have existence, but still without the need for a God. There are ideas such as the rebounding universe that just goes through endless cycles or the multiverse which postulates an infinite series of universes of which ours is just the one we happen to be in. Again, it's certainly possible for people to make those kinds of assertions, but the biggest problem people who make those assertions face is that there is absolutely no empirical evidence for either of those theories or any of the other many ones that are proffered in response to people trying to get away from the conclusion that because the universe has a beginning in space and time, it must have been created. But let's just take, for example, sake a quick look at the multiverse idea. And the multiverse idea is basically an extension of the notion of string theory. Now, a lot of people have probably heard the term string theory, but most probably don't really have any idea about what that term actually means. According to one article on the Creation Ministries International website, quote, String theory proposes that particles may indeed exist as one-dimensional loops or strings that cut across or exist in nine spatial dimensions compared to the three spatial dimensions we understand and use in relativity theory. Some suggest that these strings exist as higher dimensional objects called brains, membrane-like structures that can act like vibrating flat sheets or tubes, etc. These ideas can even be extended to support the idea of multi-universes coexisting with our own and that our own universe, the Big Bang, was the result of a collision of two of these brains in some higher dimensional hyperspace. The goal is to get the universe to create itself. That way, no first cause would be needed. Hence, no God. So, note the last sentence from the portion that you just read from that article on Creation Ministries International. The goal of all of these what I call amendments to the Big Bang Theory, again, none of which have any scientific empirical support, But their goal is always to avoid the straightforward conclusion that if the universe did come into being, it's not eternal, but if it did come into being because of a Big Bang, it means that the universe needs a creator. 
So to avoid that very straightforward conclusion, scientists will engage in their own version of myth-making. They will concoct these fascinating alternatives to God's creative activity, and those alternatives, the multiverse, the rebounding universe, whatever else they come up with, that makes for great science fiction TV and movie, but those ideas completely fail in the real world. And some scientists have been willing to admit that they do so. Harvard evolutionary biologist and geneticist Richard Lewontin wrote, quote, We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failures to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but, on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door, unquote. And it's really important to note that the goal of what Lewontin has just called just-so stories is to keep that divine foot out of the door. Lewontin knows that the moment you acknowledge that science not only does not have to exclude God, but in fact points out the need for a creative, necessary being, Well, the cat is out of the bag. The point of all of this is that even if the currently favored explanation for the origin of the universe, which is the Big Bang Theory, were true, and we're not saying it is, it still does not avoid the conclusion that there is a God. The Big Bang means that the universe would have had a beginning in space and time, and that in turn means something, or someone, must have caused it. Now, by way of all of this discussion, we want to assure people that we are certainly not somehow anti-science. I know that sometimes these kinds of discussions might give that erroneous impression, but that is just nonsense. I was trained as an engineer, and I actually had one certificate that I could hang up on my wall that sort of demonstrated that I was an engineer. And I have a great appreciation for all the benefits that science has conferred on our modern world. But it would be very fair to say that just because I trust science, that does not mean that I will uncritically accept the pronouncements of anyone who wants to call themselves a scientist. That would be a dangerous bumper sticker. Quote, I trust the science. It's the scientists I doubt. Unquote. Well, maybe someone should say that even if science and some scientists agree that there is a God, that that doesn't mean that God is the God of the Bible. What would you say then? I'd say I agree. We can know from logic, reason, and evidence, and science that God exists. But we can only know a limited amount about God's attributes and character from general revelation. To know more about God, we need God's special revelation, and we get that from the Bible. So to know whether the Bible is the Word of God, we need to examine the Bible's attributes and see whether the claim that the Bible is the Word of God can be trusted. Now here at Anchored by Truth, we believe that any book that makes the claim to be the Word of God would have to meet two criteria. 
First, the book would have to be consistent with what we know about the physical universe and the history of the world. And second, the book would have to provide evidence of supernatural origin. As longtime Anchored by Truth listeners know, we believe that there are four lines of evidence that demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. First, the Bible is historically reliable. Second, the Bible displays a remarkable unity for a book that was composed by over three dozen human authors who wrote over a span of 1,500 years. Third, the Bible gives evidence of a supernatural origin, especially through a large body of fulfilled prophecy. And the fourth line of evidence is that the Bible has resulted in an untold number of lives that have been positively changed by its transcendent message. Exactly right. So for shorthand, I call those lines of evidence reliable history, remarkable unity, fulfilled prophecy, and redeemed destinies. And that's what we focus on continuously here at Anchored by Truth. In fact, as far as I know, Anchored by Truth is the only radio show that I know of that focuses exclusively on demonstrating the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of Scripture. So... If someone wants to know whether the Bible is historically reliable, we could point them to our Facts in Acts series, or our series on David and Goliath. Some people think that a story about a short teenage boy killing a nine-foot-tall trained soldier must be a fable or myth. But we provide evidence from history and science that show that the story is historically reasonable. And we have Anchored by Truth series that focus on the remarkable unity of Scripture, such as our series on miracles and the one we called 15 Critical Scriptures. And we have several series on the very large body of fulfilled prophecy that the Bible contains, including series, for instance, on the book of Daniel. We have a series on the role of the prophets. And we have an entire show on what I think may be the most remarkable prophecy in the Bible, Daniel's so-called prophecy of 70 weeks. And we also do interview shows from time to time with people whose lives have been dramatically changed by the Bible. In some cases, the changes have been so dramatic that literally they just kind of leave you speechless at God's goodness and glory. Uh, For instance, one gentleman we interviewed, a gentleman named Armando Mondi Flores, had his life changed by one specific scripture. But only after his wife and her family had been praying for him for 19 years. Yes. It was a remarkable example of how God used a faithful wife and his own word to convert one more sinner. But once Mondi was converted, like Paul, Mondi immediately began testifying to the grace he'd received. Mondi was a senior executive in a Fortune 500 corporation, and the day after he received Christ, Mondi was in the corporate headquarters testifying to his salvation. Imagine that, saved at night and testifying in the morning. That's just remarkable. And Mondi even went so far as he was testifying to the CEO of that Fortune 500 corporation about the salvation that he had just received. Now, for those of the listeners who've never been to our website, which is crystalcbooks.com, we want them to know that just about all of our episodes of Anchored by Truth are available through our website. They're also available from their favorite podcasting app. So, when listeners get the question about how we can be sure that the true God is the God of the Bible, our website can be an invaluable resource in helping people answer that question intelligently. The irresistible conclusion from the evidence is that the Bible is exactly what it claims itself to be. 
the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Right. You know, in one of the episodes in this Truth and Proof series, we talked about the fact that biochemist, atheist, and co-discoverer of DNA, the late Francis Crick, began studying biochemistry in the 1940s as a way to disprove the existence of God. But in fact, what Crick discovered was that there is an irreducibly complex information system that is at the heart of all life. You know, Crick was a phenomenal scientist, but he was wrong about God. Crick's materialistic presuppositions prevented him from acknowledging the very truth that his own work pointed out. And that's such a shame, because, you know, the ability to derive the truth about God from reason and evidence and science, well, the inability to do so or the unwillingness to do so, that has eternal consequences. You know, we do Anchored by Truth because we want people to be able to put on the full armor of God to be able to withstand the devil and all of the devil's worldly allies. And for anyone who is familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, they will know that the very first piece of armor that the Apostle Paul mentions is the belt of truth. You know, I've heard people say, well, it's enough to just make sure that we know Jesus. Well, knowing the name Jesus and knowing that you're saved by a person named Jesus, that's great. But if we don't know all of the truth about Jesus and about the Word of God, the Bible, if we don't know those deeper truths, then the first person whose faith that we're not going to be able to defend is our own. And right behind the risk to our own faith is going to be the risk to the faith of our families and friends. And especially in today's culture, as we talk about so often, it's not enough just to say, well, I know Jesus. That's great. We're so glad that people do know Jesus and have come to Jesus for their salvation. But in today's day and culture, you've got to know the complete truth about Jesus, about his word, about what the faith means, and about how to be able to explain it, present it, and defend it. Amen. Today, as we close, we're going to do something a little different. We usually like to close with a prayer, but today we're going to give our listeners a peek at a portion of Crystal Sea's upcoming rhymed piece on Genesis, the Genesis Saga. This portion happens to be the fifth section of the Genesis Saga, and it's entitled, The Truth in Genesis. We wanted listeners to hear it because it's a form of apologetics, but it is done in rhyme, which can make it easier for people to absorb the message. As we've been talking throughout this series, many studies indicate 75% of the kids raised in a Christian household will abandon their faith when they leave home. And one of the biggest reasons they will do that is because they won't be prepared to respond to the world's lies that we've gone over in this episode. Please don't let that happen to your kids or grandkids. If you don't protect them by preparing them, who will? It has been many thousands of years since the start of creation's tale. So long ago was light released. Now with legends of origins, we're regaled. Some say that all we can see, all we can touch, taste, or feel came from nothing and nobody as if such an idea could be real. Some say that heavens and earth have 
always been in existence. They assuredly assert that there is no God, and they do so with great persistence. They say that atoms, energy, and space stretch back into eternity past. They find no place for a creator who's good in a cosmos that came from a blast. The laws of physics and chemistry, they say, tell us all that we need to know about how bright stars burn in the heavens and provide light throughout the cosmos. But if all that came from a bang, where did the bang come from? If no mind or architect played any part, wouldn't chaos be all that could come? The universe exhibits order and plan. Can design without a designer spread? And how can living creatures appear and arise from inanimate particles that are dead? The smallest cell holds billions of atoms organized with exquisite precision. Did all those brilliant molecular machines come to life with no mind's decision? And those who with great vigor contend that dead things gave rise to the living, when faced with those who believe otherwise, often aren't very forgiving. They tell us we must turn from God and let their explanation of origins speak. But it would be easier to trust their claims if from their science the truth hadn't leaked. If the universe is protons and electrons and some energy that enables them to link, then how does this random collection give them the ability to think? Can random, purposeless matter give the skill to reason and reflect? Wouldn't it take an omnipotent being? The Alpha and the Omega. Logic with flesh to connect. If they are right, their minds are built of particles that have no design. So why would any care what their particles dictate when their particles deny the divine? God created man in his image. Part of that image is free will. If that will is used to deny the creator, the serpent is in the garden still. Man abused free will, causing the fall, as he followed foul temptation. But God knew all that would come and plan for man's reclamation. In the courts of heaven, the glorious three
had selected a people to save. All men sin and fall short of the goal, but there's no need to lie in the grave. Men and nations. People everywhere. The true son wants your sin to bear. He made morning stars. He makes all things new. He made all creation. He can surely save you. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're not perfect, but our boss is.